This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. I'm Greg Mikuljohn, co-founder with Enrollment Resources, and we're giving a, um, a series over the summertime on ways to create a world-class enrollment management process. Uh, you know, one can spend money and one can spend um, hire people to go and try to uh, paper over um, revenue issues, but perhaps it's better to use something like process improvement to fix all those little leakage points throughout your enrollment management process. And today, we're going to um, uh, our panel is going to drill down and we're going to share some uh, tips. Um, the goal is to get through about 15, 16 tips, and you guys will take away a subset of those and use them immediately in your school for immediate effect. Uh, so, you know, get out your uh, Word document or get out a, a pen and a paper and just start jotting some notes. And um, at the end, we're going to open things up and we're going to uh, take any questions that you might have that where you want some clarification. So today on the call, we have Steve Davis, who is uh, VP Education Vertical with Velocify. And you guys uh, probably know Velocify as a fantastic lead management system specifically for higher education. So welcome, Steve. Uh, thanks a lot, Greg. Always a great joy to be with you guys. I appreciate the chance here to talk with everybody. Excellent. And we have Tom King, who is a, a VP with Enrollment Resources. And Tom is on the call. He's uh, been there, done that uh, fella, having uh, improved um, uh, the uh, revenue of a technical school in Ohio, I believe it was sixfold over a number of years under Tom's tutelage. So he's been in the trenches. And so we, Tom, we enjoy your perspective on this call. Glad to be here. Great, excellent. And Shane is my partner, co-founder of Enrollment Resources. And Shane has great insights and has great uh, linear thinking on all these topics. And Shane, uh, great to have you on board. Thanks, buddy. Okay, so you guys, what we're going to talk about is we're going to give leave two or three tips in seven silos that sit within the enrollment management um, area. So for the purposes of the um, participant or the listeners on the call, these are um, silos or habits that sit within the enrollment management process. And so the first one is all about creating buzz. Um, the next one is about capturing interest from the buzz and creating an actual lead that your admissions reps can work with. Next then is to create a culture that obsesses about positive first impression and how to go and, um, and um, really connect with people when you finally connect with them on the phone. Um, then what we, uh, in the enrollment management process, we want to talk about creating a visit, or a meaningful conversation, and then moving that to an application. Uh, then habit number five is how to optimize from the interview process with an admission rip to actually having people sit and stay at the beginning of school. Habit six is how to keep kids in school and motivated and happy without them bailing out. And then the final one is on placement or career services, and that's how to get them into jobs uh, you know, um, the uh, regulators want approximately two-thirds of your people who, st who graduate into jobs. Uh, 
and then the formula allows you to invite people in at the front end. So it's crucial to have that piece organized as well. So we're going to share some thought starters. Let's start uh, with creating buzz. So creating buzz, creating interest around your school. Um, Shane, you know, there, one of these best practices is, is really a tip that kind of takes me back a bit. Um, it's yeah, Greg. Do not do well, not lie. What's that all yeah. about? Well, I think this is kind of a you know a, a, a business one on one thing, and it always shocks me how we we lose sight of it. It's it's really a kind of be impeccable with your word. You know, we live in a a, a complex society, and uh, consumers have a pretty a pretty refined BS meter, and so the. The, the thing that tends to work best in communications is when you, when you are factual, right? You, you state facts and you use actual percentages that are true, not generalizations, that you uh, are transparent about pros and cons of decisions, and that you um, paint a fair picture, which creates more credibility during that exploration phase for somebody. Because no, nothing is a complete solution, right? There's nothing that's at 100% yes, 0% no. And if you present your offering in that way, it undermines the credibility of what you have to say. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Um, Tom, you know, Shane's made a – it's sort of obvious, but it seems like he's right. Most advertising is just – like, really, you, you want your advertising to reflect your top admissions reps, Right, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, and you you can't you don't want to try to be all things to all people. Um, Shane mentioned it. You know, really tr stay true to yourself and and what your particular strengths are and the value that you present as a school, um, and you know, hopefully stay within your you know stay within your niche as as well as as possible, um, and and don't don't try to stray out. Like like I said, don't try to be something that that you're not. Uh, really focus on your strengths and those feature benefits that uh, that you're really good at. So that, that's just another uh, form of not lying, really, and that is to stay within your game, um, yeah. as you say in and, baseball. Hey. Yeah, and there's a, there's an implication in that, right? As a sort of a cultural mandate in the school, is that um, if if as, as if you Follow what Tom says. You basically play within your game, or 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 stay true to the thing you're good at. It means you have to be good at something, and that requires a decision to commit to a a position in the market and a, a commit to a you know a way of doing business, a way of operating your school, and that is really the tell on whether um, an organization is inherently truthful or not. Interesting. That's an interesting. So, um, Steve, you know, Velocify has a very tight focus around what it does. It's a lead management system. Doesn't do student inf information system work. Um, and really, um, in software, they talk about garbage in, garbage out. Um, so I guess that you know, crappy leads that are are brought into a school on a weak premise. They, they get flushed. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, they do get flushed. And I think, you know, when you, you want to have a good um, duplicate management 
check process in place, I believe, at the front end of the funnel so that you can identify and flag bad, bogus inquiries. Uh, I think that's cut down some in the last few years from what I've seen. Uh, but, you know, you want to have a good duplicate check system in place so that you can eliminate uh, lead forms that have bad phone numbers or wrong information, inaccurate information. And you also want to be clear on how you make choices about how you dis distribute your inquiries to your admissions counselors. And there's always a best rep to work each and every inquiry, so I think you have to put a lot of thought into how you do it, and you need to use your technology to get those leads dispersed in the right way. And, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, you might not like this theory, but we see a lot of schools that will start off new admissions counselors or admissions, admissions advisors with some of the uh, lower-performing leads just to cut their teeth, not for a long period of time, maybe two weeks, four weeks, but you start them off with uh, an entree into the enrollment process at the school, and then you move them up to higher-quality leads once they start showing good conversations are happening, appointments are being set, so you can monitor how you distribute your inquiries based on right. the performance on lower lower right. quality coming in or garbage in garbage right. out as you say. Right. Okay. So uh, this this tip is all about do not lie. Stay within your game. Be uh, let the facts speak the truth. Um, write factual, non-fluffy BS landing pages. Create a, a, a filter of do not lie or pursue the truth in absolutely everything that's done. It seems like a no-brainer, but not many schools are doing this. Okay, tip number two in terms of creating buzz. Um, this one is, um, you know, there's the obvious ones, and here's one that's a little less obvious, and that is, you know, for most schools, they don't have the ability to brand like Coca-Cola or, um, you know, brand with advertising. There's a great book called The uh, Death of Advertising and the Rise of PR, and uh, it, it speaks to that. Most small to medium-sized businesses, and when I say medium, I mean, say, $100 million in sales and down, don't have the ability to properly brand through advertising. So the tip here is that you focus on what you can, again, to Tom's point, you play within your game. Who can you... Who can you brand? Who can you have eating out of your hand? Well, here's who you can have eating out of your hand that can create tremendous buzz and referrals, and that is the for each of your programs, identify the top 100 employers, and you brand with those 100 employers. It's a finite, tiny little campaign that almost every school can can do, and uh, and when you get employers. Um, going and, and um, loving you, uh, boy, a lot of problems go away. Shane, do you, you want to jump on that one? Well, yeah, it sure, it sure does. You know, like, you know, over the, whatever, 15 years we've been at this, there's been, I don't know, half a dozen ebbs and flows between, you know, high, high unemployment and low, uh, and low unemployment. And it's always the same cycle. Right during times of low unemployment, there's you know tr tremendous pressure and difficulty for employers to find good people. During high employment, it's the opposite. When when you are a source of solving labor woes for them, it it gives you more credibility in the market, right? Because you've got the the end game people who are or saying good things about you, they are able to refer people in. It allows you to have more successful graduates 
who then say good things about you. And each of those are, are um, ambassadors, right? Those are people out in the community who, through their personal networks, can um, talk you up. And we all know that, like, the challenge every new school has is nobody knows them, and so there's no referral base. Right? And part of the struggle is to get through that first five or ten years in order to build up a referral base. I don't know how many schools we've run into that have been around 50 years that hardly have to do any marketing because everyone knows them, and they get a ton of referrals because they are established in their communities. And that starts with employers. Interesting. Steve, you're a business-to-business expert. Um, what do you th- concisely, what do you think of Shane's comments? Steve, are you there? Okay, let's move on. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry about that. Uh, Greg, I'm sorry. I had the I had a mute going. Sorry. You know, Shane is absolutely right. I mean, you know, I, I do focus on a lot of business-to-business, but you talk about employers being a, a great source of back-channel re- referrals. We see a lot of schools now that partner with, uh, you know, corporations to drive enrollment. That's one of the hotter trends for new student pipelines and growth in enrollment. And so it's a, it's a booming part of the industry. And I would just say that it's absolutely uh, one of the, one of the biggest, fastest growing aspects of growing enrollment. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good start gentlemen. So um, now what we're going to go to is the second silo, the second part of the enrollment management process. And that is, capturing that buzz and in turn creating a lead. So I want to I want to focus on something that's intriguing to me and that is Steve we're going to start with you. Um Velocify came out with this um uh, compelling study that turned a lot of um old truths on its ear. And your study said that the optimum number of leads per rep per month was only 20 when the um, the the, um, the the old thing was 100, 80, 100, 120. And your study, which came out I think about a year ago, said it was 20, 20 leads a month. And um, wow, that's quite something. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a there's a lot of uh, ebb and flow about how many inquiries should you send out per per rep on your team? But what we've seen is that, you know, in and what we do at Velocify, because we we have 150 schools that use our solution, we are able at different times to have our analytics team go in and pull out information that's true, real data, and slice and dice that information and create comp- compelling information for the marketplace. We've we've found obviously that the Rep's ability to convert a higher percentage of leads ends up decreasing as that admissions representative is assigned a higher number of new leads per day. So the lower the number of new leads are, the, the better the conversion rate. For instance, if you were to give each of your reps that are, that are one, one inquiry a day, which never happens, but if you did, you can expect a conversion rate of 24.5% based on our data that we, that we pulled out of uh, the analyzation here. When you right. go towards when you get up towards 30 inquiries a day, and again, that's not a number that you're generally going to see very rarely, uh, but the the conversion rate is expected around 1.7%. So there's immediate, there's a number increase from 1.7 all the way up to 24.5. 
the lower amount that you give your reps per day, the uh, the better the conversion. So it, it's uh, it's an interesting factoid, and we've got a white paper on it, so it can be easily accessed. But those are the facts that we've seen, Greg. Yeah. So uh, Tom, it's, it seems to be the sweet spot is somewhere around, according to the study from Velocify, is forty uh, leads a day, or sorry, a month to a day, and and so the theory being is that you don't have to swim in with all the pigs in the in that third party lead area. Uh, you could just really focus on your high quartile converting leads, your your website leads, your referrals and whatnot. Um, have you in your experience in running an admissions team, as quite a significant admissions team, why don't you just uh weigh in on what um Steve's just shared with us? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. It's, I think it's human nature to, uh, even in, in sales or anything else, to gravitate towards the, the easier path. And, you know, if you're going to give, you know, five new leads a day to a, to a rep, and he, he's going to work those five new leads, and he's going to ignore the, the 20 or 30 older leads that he has that are three to four weeks old. Uh, so the more the more leads, the more new leads the rep gets, the the less they're going to work the older leads, and it it would make it makes sense, and certainly that would hold up with uh, with what Steve is, is saying. So, you know, we're finding you know with the schools I'm working with today that you know the, the focus is on generating a quality lead uh, as opposed to just generating leads. Uh, you know, the, those quality leads that you can convert at you know 15 to 20 percent. Versus those extraordinarily poor, you know, pay, whether it's a paper lead uh, or some portal aggregate or something like that, that's converting at three, five percent, somewhere in that that range. I mean, you're, you're, it's all about efficiency and probability and strategy with you with your reps. And if you're going to give them the best chance to succeed, um, you know, give them higher quality leads, give them a little lower lead total so that they can work them efficiently. And I think Steve can can verify too the number of you know the number of contacts that it really takes to get a hold of a lead. You know, really starts to go. You know, most leads are only contacted once, maybe twice. But it's when you get into that fifth or sixth, um, you know, reach out that uh, is where you really start to pick up your contact rates, which is going to have the big, the biggest effect on your conversion yeah. overall. So the ba- yeah. basic theme on this tip is to um, consider taking your weakest part of your um, marketing lead gen budget, usually it's the third-party lead generator, generator kind of budget, and reinvest it into um, admissions reps. And, um, and then give your admissions reps uh, a personal marketing plan that they can use to uh, augment what they're doing. Now, Shane, to that end... Another tip in terms of capturing interest, creating a lead, uh, is something that you've been talking about uh, a lot lately, and it's, I find it very interesting, and that is in terms of your marketing, and really your entire enrollment management process, it's around creating a, a culture of innovation. And now that's a sort of a term, culture of innovation, la, la, la. But when you really – analyze, Shane, what that means, it really is a compelling statement. I'd like you to go in. This is a tip I'd like you to speak to. Sure. So, you know, we're, we're, we're actually going to do a, a, you know, a detailed uh, session on this sometime, hopefully in the fall. And I've been thinking about it a lot. 
the the thing about innovation is it's a, a thing that gets a lot of lip service, but people undermine their ability to do it culturally in their companies without even realizing it. And the main way they do that in marketing is that they get attached, they get too attached to a successful outcome too early, right? And so what happens is, you know, a staff member comes up with an idea and if it, the idea doesn't pan out for whatever reason and, you know, you're going to fail more often than you succeed, then there's some consequence to that staff, right? They get, they get help from their boss or there's some political consequence to them in the organization and as a result, they just they stop innovating. And so th the way around that is to focus on the process, not the outcome. So okay. in our company, in our company, we do a ton of split tests, right? That's a major part of, of what we do, trying to find different ways to um, increase conversion rates. And the, the thing that is important to me as the guy that's responsible for that is to make sure that the, the thinking and the methodology and the kind of the thing we're trying to learn, that, that it passes kind of a logic test. So it's a thought out thing. Once the test launches, you know, I, it's nice when things win, but it's not important that they win in how I view the staff person because um, you, you can't know. And then if you don't try, you'll never get better. Does that make sense? It does. It's uh, really all about, um, you know, failing fast. Um, I remember we wrote an article called Marion the Marketer, and it was about her um, basically shoehorning prospective students into a school to meet her numbers um, rather than just going in and saying, look, this isn't right for you. Um, and 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 the reason she did this the reason cuz she was a single mom she needed the job and there are parts of the job she loved and um but her boss the owner had a uh, a culture of um not failing and not innovating and not pursuing the truth and so as a result she uh basically did what she did to go and meet her numbers so if there's Anyone on the call who is really all about, you know, asses and classes, driving numbers, you really have to t tap the brakes a bit and uh, and really look at the people that work for you. Allow them to um, create an environment where they can fail and try things. And really, I think Shane, that's what you're getting at, eh? Yeah, that's that's a portion of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then inside marketing, of course, there's a whole sophisticated piece around taking like innovation from other industries and testing it inside EDU. That's really fascinating. You do a lot of that. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's, um, you know, you could call it a willingness to uh, slaughter sacred crack cows, right? Like m m most, most of us look at our competitors or immediate competitors for uh, insight into what we should be doing, right? Hey, guy down the road's doing that, we should do that too. And the problem with it is it's, it's totally insular and, and it does not create a competitive advantage. I can give you a quick example. Apple is, is fearless around changing hardware requirements, right? Like I'm holding my little 
charging cable for my iPhone, and this, the little tip on the end is different than two generations of phones ago, right? Which at the time is slightly annoying because your old cables don't work anymore, but the new one doesn't break. Right? Unlike the USB, the little micro USB cables that break all the time, this, this one's like bulletproof. They're willing to, to you know, do the thing that needs to be done, not preserve the legacy thing because it'll annoy people in the short term. And that's the kind of mindset around an innovator. Having the courage to bring stuff out of right field in order to solve a problem. It really is a dedication about wanting to be world class. Yeah. And the the fun is in the process of getting there. Well, that's it. And the reward is amazing, right? Yeah. Like you, the the reward is you're you're now a market leader and people are chasing you and and you're the place to go. So you're we're, the the theme that's building up here you guys is we're zigging when everyone's zagging. So Fewer leads per rep, aiming at winning over and having employers loving you, uh, having the courage to innovate harsh and often from all areas, create a culture of innovation in your – wow, that's a real different way to look at it. And um, so now well, let's look to the third area of enrollment management continuing on this trend, and that is uh, a culture um, that obsesses about that first point of contact. As we all know, there's huge amounts of revenue leakage in terms of how people deal with first point of contact where marketing ends and the admissions process begins. So, Steve, now, you're, fa- you're finding that, um, uh, like, let's talk about voicemails. Like, it's sort of a, um, the, 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 the dumb cousin kind of of the, of, of all these tactics, but, um, why don't you quickly speak to that? Yeah, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to take our conversation on habit number three a little bit differently. Uh, we, we talk a lot about how many calls you should make and a lot of things about speed to lead. We talk about that a lot. I wanted to focus on a few other points today that I think are critical and that we, we want to cover some new, new ground with. And one is voicemails. And what we, what we find is the optimal number of voicemails to leave is two voicemails in a six-call uh, contact strategy, pre-contact. So two voicemails left, one after the first call and then one after the fourth. We found that to be precise. But also, when you get into the concept of voicemails, a couple of things to point out. Number one, you want to be precise about what you're saying. You want to have all the relevant information on hand of where that student is in their student journey so that you're not – uh, repeating past messages, going over old dialogue that you've already covered. You want fresh material on hand that, that's relevant to where that student is in the enrollment process. So know what you're going to say. If you have the ability uh, with your technology, I have to add this, if you can automate your voicemails, that makes it even more unique because now you have the chance to basically sound fresh at 4 o'clock in the afternoon just as you would at 8.30 in the morning when you leave your first voicemail. So if you can use your technology to automate your voicemails, those would all work on a kind of a trigger philosophy where I make a call and all I have to do is hit a button and it leaves an automated voicemail in relation to where that prospect is in the enrollment cycle or funnel. So, you know, automation of voicemail is key because the energy uptick is always there. 
and you can be very precise about what you're saying because you're recording the message. It's relevant. It's got a lot of energy, and it's pointed towards where that student is in the process. And again, so here's, a, here's a, uh, an old-school version. So imagine the voicemail is a radio ad, and you bring in the best practice of direct response marketing, and you um, split test those, uh, those, those messages that you leave with an eye to beating the control. So you start off with a precise voicemail message. You push out 100. You track how many people call you back. Then you try a second version. And the game is to try to beat the control, get more people to call you back. Through six or seven variations of that split test, you can get 5 to 10% more people to phone you back. So if someone's making 50 outbound calls a day, that's uh, 1,000 a month. And if we can get five more people to call back that otherwise would not call through split testing, that innovation, of, uh, that culture of innovation that uh, Shane spoke to, then that's an extra 50 meaningful phone calls a month for a rep, which should be um, an extra seven or eight enrollments. Interesting. Now, Steve, let's stay on with you here. Um, you really have done some deep study uh, around um, text messaging in a pre-contact fashion with the like millennials, younger demographics. You want to touch on that, please? I do. I do. I appreciate that, Greg. So one of the things that we've done a lot of in our analysis of contact strategy is evaluating the use of text messaging and the effectiveness around enrollments and conversion using text messaging. And what we've, I'll start off by saying what we've always found in our research here at Velocify is that texting is most beneficial in our research uh, from all we've done in, in making a text happen once contact has happened. But we have basically found some new information out that is key, and that is that we had a, a school that we did an interview with uh, about two months ago and we found that they have started integrating text messaging pre-contact uh, with a younger demographic, Greg, as you said. So we're talking uh -huh. about the 19 to 34-year-old age demographic, which there are a lot of out there in our marketplace. This school happens to be a flight school. And what they ended up finding was that they ended up having more contacts made through text than they did on phone calls, which is a first for us in terms of just hearing that kind of feedback from one of our schools that uses our solution. So if you've been in that situation where maybe you've listened to the advice we've doled out before about don't, you know, send, con send text messages once you've made contact because you're not being as intrusive, maybe you need to think about that a little bit more now and use texting in the earlier stages. This specific school in their six-contact strategy puts two text messages out pre-contact. And so they've right. Huge, huge success with it, and uh, that's just some information we wanted to share on texting to the uh, younger generation now. That's an awesome tip, and it's definitely worth testing, and it's easy to test. Um, let's do one more in this area. Um, this is a, a study out of Velocify about the optimum cadence of uh, um, how to reach out to people. So. I'm just going to pop out some stats here. Um, six calls, um, five emails, That a combination of those two. Two voicemails spread over 22 days, um, multi-level contact strategy. 
The best time to connect with people is 7 to 8 p.m. in the evening or uh, noon till 6 p.m. on the weekends. Interesting to me, Tom, that on that last point in particular, how admissions teams spend all their time in office hours when, in fact, the best time to connect with people are, according to Velocify study, which is quite accurate, after dinner and on the weekends. Go figure, huh? Uh, yeah, and one one of the things that uh, I'm seeing uh, as well is there's an awful lot of people that uh, are filling these lead forms out or what have you. And uh, when we look at the aggregate data out of our uh, virtual advisor system, you see that there's a lot of working people, which is anywhere in the 60 to 70% range for many schools. Uh, so it really goes to, to bear that, those people aren't going to be very available during the day. And if you don't have some admission staffing in the evening, at least from 5 till 7 or 8, um, you're going to have a much more difficult time. And on that, on that same note, when, if you're innovating and looking at what you're doing, are, are you tracking, A, are your leads predominantly working or non-working? Do you know that stat as a, as a school? And if you don't, you need to. Um, and are you asking your prospects, are they most available evening, morning, or afternoon, uh, and trying to determine what, as a whole, um, your particular school may be. And a school in New York might be completely different than a school in Los Angeles versus a school in Atlanta or Cleveland. Uh, who knows? But each individual school is going to have, based upon some of your, your numbers and your research, you're going to know where the predominance of people may be available, and you need to be able to adjust to those numbers. Uh, so really looking into some of the things um, like Steve and, and Velocify are doing, you know, but schools also need to be looking at their own stats of are, do your people predominantly work, uh, when are they most available, so that you can utilize um, and, and make the calls at the times that are most appropriate that gives you the best percentage of getting a hold of somebody. And if you know that 70% of your people are working, but you're calling them between 8 and 5 every day, uh, I mean, why make more calls when you could be more effective? I could probably make half the calls as a rep and get a hold of twice as many people if I called at the right time of day. Interesting. So work from 1, 1 till 8 p.m. Uh, Tuesday to Sunday. Wednesday to yeah, Sunday. Yeah, I think you, you, you just have to, Greg, I think, Tom, those were great points. You have to, you, you know, in, in admissions and in management, you need to be able to access your data. So monitoring your call logs, tracking the hours that your admissions representatives are working, analyzing, the, you know, if you can dice and slice the contact rates that are made, the number of attempts that are made in the evening hours, do that on a regular basis. That's how you can do your analysis on how much staffing we should put in at night. But your system should be able to tell you that, whether it's your phone system or your CRM or lead management system, those components are there for real-time data. So always be checking it. So, um, Shane, uh, if you can't get your humans to, uh, to fit into the best practice, then you need to create uh, technology to augment that, something like Virtual Advisor. Do you want to uh, just jump on that for a moment? Sure. Yeah, the people are hard. You know, it's the the you know as we've evaluated you know, admissions training and 
and behavioral change and trying to get people to follow systems and, and sort of operate in their own best interest, we all tend to regress back to the mean given enough time, right? And that's why sales training is so frustrating is it, it creates a short-term effect, but long-term people always regress back to their, their behaviors. And I think that's just how people are wired. So, so Shane, if I could jump in, that's I regress back to eating French fries. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Every every you know resolution I've ever made in my life, I've regressed back to the behavior that preceded it. And uh, you know, it's just how we are as people. And it's and so I think you can you can be frustrated by it, or you can just kind of accept it as fact and and work work around for a different solution. So. What we found, for example, is by um, systemizing the admissions interview, and we have a, a, a conversion tool within Virtual Advisor that can help with that, that you're more likely to keep an admissions person on the, the flow of the, of the meeting in a way that meets, better meets the needs of the prospect and creates higher conversion rates. And, and it doesn't have to be super intrusive, but it cre- it forces people to kind of follow the system without it without it being um oppressive interesting okay so um if you can't get people to comply you create uh force discipline best practice force discipline to augment where they're refusing to change well, I think Steve's example of the voicemail, like the little the gadget in Velocify that allows you to auto uh, put a voicemail on, is a good example of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, every admissions, every DOA in, in the history of the world has always talked about attitude and energy and hey, keep it up, man, you can do it. But by the afternoon, everyone's tired and they can't, right? And no matter how much training and cajoling and monitoring or whatever, you're you're fighting kind of physics. So their solution automates the behavior that, or, or enables the behavior that people should be doing, but basically you, you keep them having fresh legs all day, which is great. It's a really yeah. smart solution. That's a great uh, little uh, solution inside of Velocify's uh, offering, man. That's excellent. That's cool. All right, so now let's go to, that's a perfect segue. Let's go to the, um, the fourth part of the enrollment management funnel, and that is the show rate, like making sure these guys show up, um, you know, and we see show rates like 50, 40, 50%, and my goodness, so you get people who say, yeah, I'll come in, half of them show up. I mean, that sucks, right? But, you know, there's some some good, we have this through our mystery shopping, and Velocify has research as well that basically dictates that, um you book within 24 hours, and um, the show rate goes way up. Isn't that the case, Tom, from your experience at the uh, school you ran? Uh, absolutely. Um, the, you know, the, the way I put it, and I'm sure Steve probably has hard numbers on it, but I used to, you know, I used to go with a 10% drop per day starting with the first, you know, the first day or so. So after, if, if you set an appointment two days out, maybe an 80% chance of showing three days out, maybe a 70% chance uh, or even lower than that. So uh, you, you're always looking for the next day appointment or the today appointment. And the farther out you have it, the, you know, the less chance. And, and it would make sense. You've got buyer's remorse that kicks in or the fear factor that, that kicks in. 
uh, and people lose um, the enthusiasm that was created by the phone call and the energy that was transferred there. Uh, from the day you first talk to somebody or even from the day somebody enrolls until the day they start or graduate, their enthusiasm is just going to continue to drop, 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 um, which requires you to either have some kind of a, a nurturing campaign uh, or do something to keep – you have to keep their motivation level and their enthusiasm level as high as humanly possible because it will, it will wane over time. Uh, so the shorter that time frame, the, the better chance you have of, of somebody showing. And again, it goes right back to, again, strategy and probability. You want to put the odds. All of these things we're talking about is putting the odds in your favor to be more successful and to be more efficient. Okay. Yeah, and I, would, I would add to that, Tom. You know, you, you, it's almost like the whole new Internet inquiry comes in. Uh, you're more apt to make a conversion happen if you reach them within a first minute than at any other time, right? We've all, we've all heard about that. Our research shows that at Velocify. I say it's the same thing with uh, setting a campus appointment. You need to get a hold of them as fast as possible. I'm talking about the prospect. But I had a longtime uh, school call, contact of mine, uh, COO at a school in Chicago, tell me eight or nine years ago, book that appointment within 24 hours. Either you book it today, tonight, or tomorrow. When can you come in? And I've never forgotten that, and it's, it's so true. The longer you let that, that appointment go out, the further it's out, the less likely they are to show, and that's why you see a lot of 50% show rates if you don't book it within. There you go. So um, another little tip, folks, is um, the, uh, uh, to go and uh, um, send out a little text message one or two hours prior to the meeting just to remind people, and your show rate should go up quite a bit as well. Um, okay, so I'm looking at our time, and so I'm uh, cognizant of us being crisp uh, so we can get everything done here. Uh, habit number five is... You know, you're in, you have your prospective student in an interview, and you want to move them to a sit rate. So um, that's really high. Um, Tom, Tom, we're going to focus on you here. For a couple of tips. Um, have have a social proof program in the waiting area. Um, where are they now? She testimonials on the wall, that kind of thing. Tell me what. How does that improve your interview to sit rate? I think every, it, it, it always begins with the first impression, um, and, and that's everything from the receptionist or the person at the front door that greets them walking in. You know, are they enthusiastic? You know, are, they, are they excited to have you visiting there? Um, and then while you're sitting in the, in the waiting room, you know, are, you, are you being, I don't want to say bombarded, but are you being uh, at least some subliminal messages of, Hey, this is a great school. There's some great things going uh, going on here. Uh, maybe you're watching a video testimonial while you're looking at a book of written testimonials, um, you know, as well. And maybe some some great things on the wall or good, you know, or comments or awards that the school has won. Uh, and I I always likened the tour or the interview. I don't like the word interview. It's a, I like career planning session, but. Um, I've always likened that to visiting Disneyland. And even when I'm appointment setting, I'm trying to sell Disneyland that you want to come see this school. Uh, what you're going to see here is awesome. You're going to love what you see and what, what you're going to hear. We're going to help you. It, you know, forget your family vacation. You want to come and see our school uh, type of thing. So you really want to make sure that when they walk into your facility, your institution, 
that they're not seeing a bunch of you know boring Ansel Adams paintings on the wall or something like that. They want to see success stories, testimonials, video, something cool, something fun that gets them going when they walk, up, walk in. So I guess really what you're speaking to is that if we're empathetic and we launch ourselves into the world of this person is walking into this reception area, they are scared, they are nervous, it's like, why am I here? This is a huge life-churning event um, that just, uh, it can, it's very unnerving. So if um, you have a, a kind of a welcoming thing where you go, okay, you've made, a, you've made the right move to be here, it can settle down that uh, distraction and then rather than in that interview uh, meet that meeting that there's 15 20 minutes of the person sitting back thinking am i in the right spot you actually give the admissions rep an extra 20 minutes at the front end because they're coming in warm focused and receptive so that was how to throw a metric on that now the other thing that's really interesting is um do not lie that's the other one which is really interesting because that seems obvious, don't lie. But a lot of admission, most, many admissions reps will just sit there and they start promoting and waving that flag and, oh, this is such a great school. But really, the, the top performing reps, what they will do is they will sit down and get sober and objective and they will properly pre-qualify the prospect to make sure there's a fit. Now, um, that's kind of like counterintuitive. Um, but I would argue that people have to do this now because um, the regulators are forcing the reps to do it. If they don't do it, it's going to create weak, pockmarked uh, intakes, which is going to create problems at the retention level. And so qualifying hard and having the courage to walk away. You want to quickly speak to that, Tom? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you have to have a track to run on um, first. So when, in the interview process, you find, I would most likely wager that um, the schools that have the most problems are the schools that don't have a defined process where their reps are just winging it. Uh, and your biggest problem is probably your oldest, most veteran reps that enroll the most people. They're the most likely to start to know when something's going south and they're going to do whatever they can because they're not following a defined process or uh, which can which can lead you into trouble. So you, you want to have a, I think you want to make sure you have a defined process. Uh, you're well versed in how to overcome you know, objections properly uh, and that you're, you, you do the hard qualification um, and and do what's necessary to, to put a quality student that will graduate into your school and not just butts and seats. And, and the cool thing about that is you qualify people out or you qualify them in. And if you qualify them in to put that pre-step in, the conversion rates go through the roof because you've, you've drawn them in and you've deepened the commitment through the qualification process. Uh, you've also, by going through that objective, sober-minded process, the admissions rep reframes quickly from being a vendor um, to being a trusted advisor, which then means that, uh, again, conversion rates go up and the, it's much more pleasant in and less adversarial in terms of how the reps are working with the students and vice versa. Um, 
Okay, let's move on. Uh, retention, student retention. So, Shane, um, you know, when you and I at conferences have suggested to school owners that they offer, like we do, um, a satisfaction guarantee, you know, you can see they want to puke. Or, like, who the heck are you? A, a guarantee. But all the best companies, organizations in the world have a satisfaction guarantee. So Yeah, you know, that is one of those, we've talked about this many times over the years, and that one always uh, plays poorly to the audience. And, Greg, thank you for having the courage to stick with it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to collect my thoughts on this one. That's okay. Take your time. In the previous point, what was coming to mind is that schools are ultimately in the credibility business, right? It's an education institution, and your credibility is everything, right? And so if you're promotional in your uh, admissions interview, uh, you know, what I was running through my head was that that undermines your credibility because you don't seem legit, right? If you're promotional and not objective, you, you lose it. And the, the guarantee is a token of credibility, right? It, it demonstrates a willingness to stand by your product, right, or, or sorry, your, your, um, the, the, your service. Now, what that looks like, I, I don't know if everyone, anyone's ever found, like, a really good one, but something that denotes to a prospective student that, you know what, you've got skin in the game too, and you're willing to stand by this wonderful education that you're going to deliver to them. It's, it's hugely powerful. Like for us, it's been great. We've had a, always had a guarantee, and every single time people can't believe what it is. And it, what it does is it leapfrogs a bunch of objections and, and, and negotiation time that we would have had to go through otherwise. And almost never, no one ever uses the guarantee because we deliver what we say we're going to do. It's, just, it's a shortcut to credibility. So I guess it's having the courage to, um, you know, put your offering on the line. And uh, if you have a, if you're, you know, putting lipstick on a pig or you're polishing a turd, then no, don't do a guarantee. But really, why why bother being in business if you have some kind of oatmeal mediocre offering? Like, why, you know, that's living small. That's playing small, you know. So play big. Well, this, Go ahead. This speaks to the, the innovation point earlier, right? Like a, 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 a thing to innovate around would be how do we create more certainty in our delivery? How do we uh, mitigate risk for our prospect better, right? How do we demonstrate we have skin in the game and that, you know, we're, we're so confident in our, in our delivery and the quality of our instruction and the relevance to the employers, et cetera, that we can, we can, put something tangible against that. Exactly. It's super powerful. The person that figures it out, it's going to be a game changer for them. Yeah, yeah, especially if they combine in some of these other tips um, that we've shared. Um, let's move to, um, well, retention, it's an obvious one, folks. You want to have little feedback loops. Can, you know, canary in a coal mine, the Welsh miners used to bring the canary down, and if the canary died, you knew there was methane coming in and everyone would run away. Well, within uh, any intake, there's uh, 
there's what I would call the the, the quiet the, the quiet seething people. You know, the people who are angry or afraid, but they're they're too quiet to pipe up, and then one day, boom, they're gone. Well, if you can catch them with a little feedback loop, a little survey, then and then get in there and love them up or help them, you're going to improve your retention rate five to seven percent. Very easy to do. Little feedback loops, uh, you know, three four times through the year. Okay, placement. This is uh, something I'm going to share. Um, okay, so it's going to take a little explaining, but hang in there. So you have somebody in a certificate program. Um, say it's a, an, a, an IT program, and say it's in uh, Chicagoland, uh, Chicago area. So what you do is out of your placement department, you set up a, a um, certificate program, participation program on the jargon and the politics and everything that's going on in the agribusiness. So Chicago is the center for agriculture business, Cargill, Monsanto, what have you, all those guys. And it's a massive, massive economic driver, hundreds and hundreds of companies that feed those major companies. And so what you do is you create a a little participation certificate on uh, agribusiness. Now, how this shakes out is you, then you get the people in agribusiness to come in and give a little workshop every couple of weeks, and they come, and it, it doubles up as a, a meet and greet to go to work. It also doubles up as really warming up the employer community about how wonderful these kids are. And then when it comes time for graduation, they have that line item on their, in their resume that says, um, participation and certificate on the uh, details of the agribusiness. I don't know the right language. What that does is when the HR person sees that, they will automatically short-term, uh, shortlist that resume automatically. So uh, it, it's, it's, it helps you with your positioning. It helps you with differentiation in the market. It helps you with um, uh, differentiating graduates who are going to go into – um, the, an IT job interview. So it's IT with a specialty in agribusiness. So any, any IT um, job in the agribusiness, that student has an automatic advantage in a, in their, inside their resume for very little effort. So that's my big idea on that. So that's a positioning thing. Um, Tom, uh, anything jump out uh, in in terms of placement? Um, you've been there, done that. Yeah, I'll go back to the very first thing we we chatted on on the call today, and that was partnering up with with top employers. And it's not just getting vendors or employers; it's getting partners, uh, and it's seeking out as many of those as you can. Uh, so that you've got a great base to draw from. So not only from a lead gen standpoint, but you've got partners that may help you with donations for training, but uh, they're also going to be hiring uh, your, uh, your, your people as well. And I think a lot of schools, career placement people are, are overstretched and don't have a lot of time to get out and do that, but you really need to rely on instructors, and other staff, maybe corporate development person if you have one as well, if career services can't handle it all, uh, to go out and bring in as many potential partners 
as, as possible. I was talking with a client yesterday, and one of the ideas I, I let them know was just have a, maybe have a little contest within the school and have all staff bring in a, you know, as many business cards as they can in the next 30 days from potential employers um, in different areas that they come from. And that, that builds that culture of everyone being on the same page we're all in, in admissions together. We're all in placement together. We're all in retention together um, and really drive those numbers of, uh, of companies up that you can reach out to uh, and then treat them as you would anybody else from a marketing standpoint and frequently get newsletters and things out to them to nurture those companies along and be top of mind so that they're always uh, looking at you first. So it's, a, it's an interesting debate we've heard before, and that is that um, – the most important stakeholder group is not prospective students, it's employers. Without employers hiring the, the graduates, um, you have no school. And um, it's a, education's unique in that your, uh, your customer, once they sign up, your customer turns into your product. So um, it's a very interesting dynamic. So. Uh, you know what? We have blasted through, everybody, our overview. And um, here's what we're going to do. In each of those seven uh, areas, we're going to co combine those up into four follow-up sessions a week apart. You've all signed up for it. And so, for instance, with the buzz and lead gen area, a week from now, we're going to go through and drill way, way down, and we're going to share about 15 tips or so in this area of buzz and lead gen. And uh, we're going to take you into some areas that are really obscure. You've received two of those. We're going to give you another 12 to 14. Uh, and then the week after, we're going to talk about first point of contact and so on and so on. And we'll be done in about a month. Uh, invite your friends and colleagues. Um, I think we're done, you guys. Um, what I'd like to do now is, uh, before we hang up, we've got four people here who would love to help you. Does anyone on the call uh, have a clarifying question or an opinion or wants to challenge us? Anybody had a desire to be on a little podcast, radio, talk show? Here's your chance. All you got to do is press star six, and um, you can join us and be the, the fifth person. Who wants to do it? Anyone? Star six. While we're waiting for that, Shane, to see if anybody... Hello? Oh, here we go. Hi, who's this? Hi, my name Hi, is, this is Laurie Cross. Hi. Which school are you with? Hello? Hi, I'm from Northeast Technical Institute, and I am uh, wondering, uh, especially about retention. You talked a little bit about the fact that retention requires just going around and doing survey checks and so forth. My school has checkpoints and surveys in place, and sometimes we still see these students who seem to be doing great and then wake up one day and they can't make it anymore. Um, what I've done so far right now is I've actually started a lecture series on uh, dealing with stress, and uh -huh. that's just one thing that I'm trying to see if that's helpful because it might be that our our student body sometimes can't handle the multiple uh, things that they are juggling in their lives, whether it's school or um, you know, family, whatever else that comes across. What what detailed things can you give me, or at least can or 
ideas that you can share that you have seen that work? Well, here's an oddball, uh, an oddball one that Tom will uh, share with you, and that is to have your admissions reps do a better job of properly uh, preparing students for school, um, like creating what are called education plans. Uh, Tom, you want to, you know, flesh that out a bit? Uh, I mean, sure. It does. A lot of it uh, is is uh, is upfront in the qualification process. Uh, so it's making sure that that student is is pretty aware and that you've documented any potential uh, roadblocks or or something. And it sounds like you do uh, do some uh, checking and surveying, which we strongly recommend as, as well. Um, and I'll also, because I'm a numbers guy and I like to look at that stuff, it's really when you lose a student that withdraws, and a withdrawal is, is more, a bigger deal than someone you terminate for attendance or grades, but um, getting to the real reason as to why, why they're leaving and, and what is it, uh, and normally you're going to lose a student because the perceived value of what they're getting has dropped below what they're paying. Uh, and we talked about it at the beginning as well. That's when people don't start, and that's when people don't show up. But that's also why people leave is, you know, over time, the enthusiasm and motivation level drops. And that's once they start to the day they graduate, you know, there's going to be low points in there, but they're, it's going to continually drop, 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 unless um, as a, collectively as a school we can keep that motivation level uh, as, as high as possible. So it's continually re looking at those those numbers and things that we're, we're doing and why are we losing those students. And you, know, you touched base on having some kind of a, a program in place to um, help them deal with, with stress or multiple jobs. Uh, a lot of it's financial. Are we helping them with part-time job opportunities? Do we even know that they need those? How mm -hmm. well of a, good of a job are we doing up front to find out if they need a part-time job so they can afford to stay in your school? Mm -hmm. uh, and then lastly, um, and we'll touch base on these, I think, down the road, um, a busy student is a happy student, and you've got to really make sure that they don't want to miss a day because they're going to miss a lot, and they can't, and it's going to be so exciting and uh, informative to them that they don't want to miss a day. Uh, you've got to keep that motivation level high. Great. Does that help a bit, uh um, that actually helps a lot, um, and if I can add just another question to that, because you did talk about uh, drops uh, versus withdrawal, and we have like a combination where we do have some students, I, I would say the majority that we deal with are usually drops. You know, they stop attending or they're not attending up to par. Um, and um, another question on top of that is, we are now experiencing a higher demographic or a, a slight uptick in um, out of high school, just out of high school students enrolling. And keeping them interested is very difficult. Um, we find ourselves constantly having to host them and, and get their attention. How, what have you seen? Oh, okay, so that's a question for Shane. And I think what really, Shane, what this speaks to is um, – you know, your marketing and your sales are only as strong as the offering that you have out in the world. And and so it's really taking that culture of innovation and really making it an incredible, as Tom alluded to, an incredible experience that people just are 
looking forward to coming to school. You want to expand on that a tiny bit? Yeah, I was laughing when you said that. I, I have teenagers, and, and my second oldest just graduated high school, and I was thinking, how do you keep him interested? And, uh, you, you know, I was at a loss. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, okay, J- joking aside, the, the kid uh, straight out of high school that picks vocational training versus community college is likely a more practical person, right? Or, or they're coming from a place that's, I just want to get some skills so I don't have to suffer through some garbage jobs. Uh, and, hey, i got a trade to fall back on, if nothing else. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think the mindset. So um, you know, I, I'm not an instructional guy, so I don't know about that. I'm sure there's, there's ways to, you know, like Tom said, busy students are happy students. Um, you know, I think, Keeping, keeping a young person's eye on the prize isn't really important. And I was, in pre, your previous question, I was thinking about the Pacific Institute down in Seattle that, that, that has a, you know, a personal development kind of program curriculum that, that uh, attaches on. They've been very successful at helping people build the kind of life skills and you know, stuff like learning how to goal set or or, you know, understand how their moods in the moment don't have to dictate all their behaviors, things mm-hmm. that are just, you know, adult skills that, that are wildly helpful for making better decisions over time. Uh, I think stuff like that could maybe be helpful. Um, well, here's another one, Shane, um, is, is to, um, around your program areas, bring in someone from industry uh, to chat up, a student, a classroom, about, hey, how cool, the, hey, this industry you're going for, this is what's really cool, what's going on, answer some questions, so it um, gets people uh, forward thinking. So um, a student oh. might tune out, tune out an instructor, but if every couple of weeks or even once a month you have somebody from industry coming in and re-motivating them, as Shane says, keep their eye on the prize, Different personalities appeal to different people. Like this talk we're giving is what's called a popcorn talk, like eating popcorn in a movie theater. There is bound to be two, three, four, five tips that will have connected with every single person on this call. And so to that end, if you popcorn in industry people, there's going to be one, two, three, four people that will be super inspiring to that student and help them keep their eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. Greg, I had another one that just came to mind as you're talking. Mm. Um, what, what about a, like a, a peer mentoring kind of program where you, you, you put an older student with the younger one, mm-hmm. you know, and just someone that's credible and you kind of give them some tough love if needed, or, you know, could, could be, um, you know, kind of a big brother kind of figure. That's great. Something like that maybe work? Yeah. Well, look, you've got some love here. Um, if you want some more info, just call us and we'll, we'll sit with you for a while and talk it through. Um, let's move to, I know there was another person that jumped on the call. I hope she's still on. Um, ma'am, you want to pipe up if you're still there? Can you still hear me? Yes. Hi, this is Lori. I'm calling from um, Raphael's of Beauty School in Ohio. Oh, and yeah. I, I just had a couple of things that, um, that I wanted to mention really quick. I agree with 
the flight school and the texting in the technology that you know the youth have today they don't want to talk everybody wants to text because they're doing three things at once um, so I find that my best point of contact has always been texting them either once or twice before I try to physically call them on the phone because people don't answer their cell phones if they don't know the number right so yep, that I agree with that correct. so yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there in case anybody else hasn't tried it yet. And, you know, I'm fairly new to this. I've been doing it for about two years here now. Um, and I found that when we have our recruiter meetings and we sit and talk um, with our admissions reps, I find that I, I share that the most because I get my most return comments and conversations via text, all the way to scheduling appointments. Now, but here's an interesting point. Uh, Fred, uh, Fred Carini uh, 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 dialed in. Um, and so, you know, it really does also depend on how you craft the persuasion um, because if the persuasion's not right, um, then people will opt out left, right, and center. So, uh, so the question really I think Fred's bringing up is there are cases of schools where the texting, the pre-contact texting just bombs, doesn't work. So the question being is that, is that because of the, texting bucket or is I don't it because know. or is it is it because what's in the bucket um the the communication the persuasion the uh, engagement point if the well, engagement I write my bucket the same every time so I have a depending on what they're coming for whether it's nailed esthetician or cosmetology but I have a standard text that I just change the name and the program sure. that they're looking at that way it always sounds like to me very polished Yes, that's perfect. And then what happens is, I think the, the the analogy for cooking crabs here is the bucket is really people focus on the bucket. Oh, texting, uh, but it's not the bucket. It's the copywriting. It's the it's what's said uh, in the text in the text message. It's the copywriting that's everything. So you obviously have a nice copy written piece there that's that's pulling. Shane, can you just kind of reinforce what I'm getting at here? Sorry, yeah, I sure can. The, oh, okay, I'm sure how to say it right. But yeah, there, there's two parts to it. It's the, it's the tactic and then it's the execution of the tactic. Um, if It sounds like you've landed, for whatever, by, by savvy or whatever, you've landed on an approach that's getting traction with your prospects. Right, they're responding to you, and, and and it's working as a tool for you. If for everyone listening, if you if you hear something and you think, well, I've tried it, but it, you know it doesn't work for me or whatever, it might be worth looking at it with a fresh set of eyes, because it could just be that how you put the particular way you tried it for whatever reason, you know, you just you missed the mark a little bit. And it, and it doesn't yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with that because I had to try a couple different methods of what I was trying to say. So I found that offering to schedule them a complimentary tour so that they didn't automatically wonder if it cost them money to come meet us and um, asking them if there is a day and time that works well for them isn't giving them a yes or no. They have to respond with words. You know, that, that could be the word complimentary could be the thing that's winning in that. Like when we test headlines at advertising, for example, Sometimes it's just one little word that makes a big difference. 
and you've, you've naturally grabbed an objection that might be an unspoken one that, that the prospects are having, which is it's going to cost me money, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I just wanted you guys to know that it does work yeah. for me, and in, in this day and age with all the phone technology, it's something that I really, um, I really find useful. So if I don't hear back, then obviously I, they may not be a texter, so then I try to phone them you know, in person. So you are a great, great client of ours, and you just phone us up, and we'll spend a bunch of time with you teaching you about split testing and copywriting if you're curious for fun. Cool. Yeah, I okay. do. And, you know, I have one more, one more comment, if you don't mind. The industry, where you're saying bring in someone from the industry, um, something that we found useful, and obviously it would only be in the beauty industry, would be um, we had a employer, a prospective employer, come from a salon, and she was dressed completely inappropriately, which the students found hysterical, but she did it on purpose and then um, showed them what people come dressed like for an interview and why she would never hire them, like with a see-through top on and, you know, green undergarments and, you know, chewing gum and smacking it while she was talking. So I do think that you can keep it fun and fresh for them, you know, for people of all ages to bring someone in from the industry just to give them some kind of quick lesson like that in the morning. That's a great idea. Yeah, that's a good one. Laurie, yeah, you should so I, be, I do like you should be teaching this awesome. webinar. No, no, I just I agree with what you're saying, and it did hit home. You're right that I, you know I did pick up on some key things that you guys are saying. Thank you. You're welcome. We're going to have to uh, pitch you to get a raise. <laughs> so <laughs> Go right that, ahead. That, that was a joke. Sorry, ha, joke, joke. Now uh, Nicole Benson is saying, hey. There's a whole bunch of these tips. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Do you have a white paper? Um, and so what we're going to do is each week we're going to have a, a drill down in each area. And uh, then we're going to release to those interested um, a more of a, like a one-pager on the tips for each of those areas. So uh, come next Wednesday, and we're going to do uh, 14, 15 or so of these tips on the first part of the admissions or the enrollment management process. And then if you want, we'll have this um, nice little uh, one-pager that you can use as a reference point that you can get at the end of the podcast next week. And then we'll do the week after and so on and so on. And uh, if you collect all of them, all four of them, you get a prize, a prize at the end. Shane, what's that prize? You get the commemorative collector's packaging cup. With, oh. Uh, no, I don't know. You get um, eye strain uh, eyeglasses that are worth oh, um, yes. yeah, well, a lot of money. No eye strain, guaranteed no eye strain, sunglasses in, in uh, beautiful black with durable frames and, and polarized lenses. And there's no uh, trashy logo stuff on it, so you can actually wear them without being embarrassed. Yes. So there you go. Right. No corporate branding. Correct. Now, we have gone way over time here uh, with our questions. Um, does anybody uh, want to slip a question in before we say goodbye? No. Okay. We'll see everybody uh, next week. Uh, remember to invite your friends, and we're going to drill down on buzz and generating leads. So you guys have been great. Go take on the day. Use some of these tips, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, innovations in enrollment management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com.